Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Robin Meisinger. Robin is a manager and a producer for anonymous content. Formerly, she was the co-founder of Madhouse Entertainment. Robin, we are very excited to have you on the show today. How's it going? Pretty good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, and we appreciate mm-hmm. having you on board. My first question is always, where are you in the world right now? Based on what you do, I want to say you're in LA. Tell us yeah. where specifically you are. Right now, I'm at the beach in Manhattan Beach, which is not where I live. But um, yeah, I'm in LA. Before we get into <laughs> what you do specifically, tell us about mm-hmm. your origin story and how you got into being a manager and a producer. Did you always want to work as a manager and producer? What was your career trajectory that kind of led to this point? Did not always want to be a manager or producer. In fact, I didn't have any aspirations to be in entertainment at all. I went to uh, USC, but I was not a film major, unlike most people in my business. I was an English major because my aspirations were to be a lawyer. I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to be a litigator like my father. And um, so I went to school to learn how to think and to write. And I graduated and with full intention to be an attorney. But I think after having graduated and after having studied so much in college, I sort of decided to take a break before applying to law school. And my parents were totally supportive. They were super up for paying for law school, but not for financing my exploration of self. So they said, you know, sorry, you're on your own. So I did what anybody would do after after graduating Phi Beta Kappa. I was a temp, which was super humbling and embarrassing. And I needed, a, I just had needed money. So I was a temp and I randomly got a job floating as a temp on the Sony lot. And that was my first exposure to movies. I was not working in anywhere exciting. I was working in like purchasing. It was just horrific. But I randomly got a job as this as a receptionist in production. And so it was really my first exposure to movies. And I was like, this seems sort of cool. But I was broke. And then I heard there was a full-time job working for a studio executive. And to be honest, I heard there was overtime. And that was my criteria. I was so poor. And I got a job as an assistant to a studio executive. And it sort of started from there. It really was, I'd never read a script. I really wasn't all that into movies growing up or television because that really wasn't in my mind. And so that's kind of how it started. And it kind of dovetailed from there. I was an assistant. I was in advertising for a movie studio. For a couple of years after that, then I started working as a development executive for a producer. And that's when I was, my boss at the time was, 
his name was Barry Mendel, and he was a really, really awesome agent who was transitioning from being an agent into a producer. And I started working for him, but all of his movies, he produced Rushmore, he produced Sixth Sense, he now produces all of Judd Apatow's movies, but all of his movies were coming from his clients when he was an agent. So he didn't really give a shit if I brought in, you know, like a great article or great writer. And that's when I started meeting all these young writers he would never hire. So I started a management company out of my office and sorry, he had no idea. So I was running a business just because I was bored more than anything. And I just thought, you know, there's all these great young writers who need guidance and my boss will never hire them. So I just started developing with young writers and getting them jobs on the side. And it kind of, it kind of became a career for me. And I thought for like many years, I was like, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go to law school. And that was almost 24 years ago. Kind of how it started. Kind of random, right? And Madhouse Entertainment was around for how many years? It was around for a while. How did that happen? And then what caused you to kind of transition to working for anonymous content? Yeah. So after I started this management company out of my then development job, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make a career out of this. So I went to a few companies. Some of those companies weren't as solvent as I had hoped. I worked for this one woman for a while and she mentored me. And then that sort of relationship dissolved for various reasons. And then I started working for this man named Thomas Sally, who's now at Three Arts. And we had this company, I mean, it was his company called Custom Entertainment. And he was somebody who really kind of helped me take my business to the next level. And one of the other employees is who I started Madhouse with. So when custom entertainment was dissolving, I had an opportunity to go with Tom to three arts or start my own company with my former partner, Adam Kohlbrenner. And we didn't really know each other, to be honest. We were just sort of thrown together. You know, we had an opportunity to have someone invest in us. So we decided, let's try this. And so that was about mm, 14 years ago. And we started Madhouse. We had a great run. And for various reasons, we decided to part ways. And I just thought it was time in this marketplace for me to have a little bit more power behind me. And Anonymous is an awesome company. I mean, I don't know how much you know about it, but I mean, Steve Golan, who died last year, started the company many, many years ago, decades ago. He started Propaganda. He's incredible. And I had the opportunity to really to build my business and to have an 800-pound gorilla behind me. And they have many resources and more bodies. And so I decided to sort of transition into, into that. And it's been the best thing I ever did. It's been incredible. And then he died, which is not incredible. But I work with an, an amazing group of people. It's just, it's just raised my level of business in a big way. Yeah. So we've talked about kind of what brought you to this point. But we haven't talked about yeah. what exactly it is that you do. And before we get too granular, yeah. from a high level, yeah. let's say there yeah. are those writers listening who don't know the difference between literary <laughs> management, talent management, producing, agents. Yeah. Can you walk us through the difference between all those things and what you do specifically? So I'm a literary manager, producer, 
which means I work with writers and writer directors. I do not work with actors, nor will I ever. Because I'm an agent, I'm a manager, although now there's no agents. Well, there are a few agencies now, but you know, from the WGA sort of thing, there's no, most of my clients don't have agents. But to say, forgetting about the sort of all this shit that's going on right now, the difference is, I guess, the difference between a manager and a, an agent is, well, there's, there are several differences and then there's overlap. So the differences, I think, sort of definitionally, it's like the manager is a much more creative partnership than an agent. An agent is more about sort of job getting and it's transactional versus a manager, which is, yes, we get jobs, even though I guess, I mean, we get jobs for our clients, we set meetings, we do all the relationship stuff that an agent in theory is supposed to do. But in addition to that, it's much more of a creative sort of participation. It's a collaboration. So at least the way I do it, although there are some agents who transition to being managers and they function like agents, which is just job getting. But I think that a manager is a much more sort of like deep tissue form of representation because I also don't have 120 clients. Like an agent is typically responsible for well over 100 clients. I have like 45 clients so that I can be involved creatively. And that means from giving a client an idea, developing something from the ground up, finding projects for them, finding books, articles, job getting. So I do everything. I staff my clients. But the creative involvement, I think, is the one thing that distinguishes an agent from a manager. And I think it's more rewarding. And it's what I do best. So... As far as breaking it down into different steps, I would love to maybe start with maybe the management side first and then maybe the producing side. I'm sure there will be overlap in those things. But just to kind of try to dissect it a little bit, on the management Mm -hmm. side, I guess the first question is, how do you find your clients? I imagine you have a roster. How do you find them? How many do you have? How does one find you? How does that work? Well, it's funny because, you know, it's such a, yeah, how do my clients find me? I think in many different, I get referrals, obviously, at this point. I mean, anyway, I mean, from an agent might refer a client, a lawyer might refer a client, a friend might refer a client. Some people hit me up totally unsolicited, which I'm no longer allowed to do. However, there is a way, you know, I get Instagram, I get Facebook, you name it. If I look at the clients I work with, They've come from many different sources. So I'd say there's not any one source of client. It's great if someone endorses the client, but that's not always the case. I mean, in the beginning, I mean, I found my clients in the most random way. And some of my most successful clients, in fact, I would say all of my clients, you know, I I still have the same group of clients as I did two decades ago. And you know, they were all broke and struggling when I started representing them. So it's not, even though I've sort of advanced in my career, I am not the manager who only signs people who've already have established careers. That's always nice. But I found my clients when they were nothing. So I'm always looking for the diamond in the rough. Now, how do people find me? You know, now through you, you know, potentially, or... Okay. You know, listen, I'm totally open. I'm not, 
I'm not like most managers who make it really difficult to sort of break into the business. I think it should be super easy. The real way is like the distinguishing thing is it shouldn't be hard to get to someone. I think the hard part is like, you know, whether you have what it takes. And that means obviously excessive talent, but I'm pretty accessible. In fact, I'm, I'm really accessible. If you reach out to me, I will respond. I'm not like most people. In terms of how many clients I have, I keep my roster small because so that I can be involved in every aspect of my clients' careers. I think it's if I'm really going to represent somebody, I think it's impossible to do it if I have 150 clients. So I've never actually counted, but probably like 40, 45 people, which, you know, for having a 24 year career is not very many people. So I have to make sure that those people are all working. You know, so, but I like to maximize everybody's career because I'm the kind of manager who signs super ambitious writers. So I'm not interested in a client, for example, who just sells one pilot a year. I want somebody who does movies and television. And so it's a lot of work just for having one client. So probably like 45. You mentioned the distinction between someone reaching out to you or you finding someone and having what it takes. So I think maybe the next thing we could cover is, you know, how do you know when you're ready to approach a manager? Should you have a particular number of maybe scripts under your belt, so to speak? Should you be in a certain place headspace-wise? What's your suggestion for those who are out there thinking, okay, I want representation. Obviously, you should probably have a project or two or a few, you know, ready and be kind of uh, focusing on your career. So what is your suggestion for those looking to get representation? That's a really good question. And I think that that is, I think it's impossible in many ways to sort of quantify if there's a number of scripts you need. Here's what I'll tell you what people are typically looking for now. I mean, I would say if you have one awesome script that I can sell, then that's enough. You know, if you have one awesome script that might be impossible to sell, that also might be enough. You know, so, but if you have four scripts that are sort of mediocre, that's not it. You know, that's not enough. So, and what I think is amazing, somebody else might not. And so, I mean, it's so subjective. So, I really don't know how I can answer that question because it's, I think, every sort of manager or agent will take on a client for different reasons. I mean, to me, it's just, when I read a piece of material, it's a gut check. It's just like, what am I feeling in my bones? Does this make me laugh? Does this move me in some way? And then also a large part of how I take on clients is when I meet somebody, you know, it's like, do I feel like that person has the ability to represent him or herself, you know, in a room? How does that person carry him or herself? So there's many different factors. It obviously starts with what's on the page, but it's also, you know, the kind of person, because I've read many writers who are incredibly talented, who I may or may not take on because maybe I didn't gel with that person personally. It's really because it's so collaborative the way I work. I've got to feel it from the person personally as well. So it's just different, but that's just me. I'm different because I'm very involved in my clients' lives. So that connection is super meaningful to me. You mentioned, as far as the scripts themselves, whether it's possible or impossible to sell it, 
what factors into that? Is it the strength of the concept? Is it what the market is looking for right now? Is it the quality of the writing? I imagine it's a combination of those things, but can you walk us through kind of how you look at those? I think it's yes, yes, and yes. Yes. I think you answered your own question, which is it's all of it. You know, I mean, really, I never know what the marketplace is looking for. And the marketplace doesn't know what the marketplace is looking for, right? So I definitely pay attention to trends, but I definitely am not a slave to them because it's sort of ever changing. And, you know, you don't even know what's going to sell. I've surprised myself both ways, like things I thought for sure would sell, haven't sold. And things that I just love that I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take a flyer, have sold. So there's really no way to predict the marketplace. So again, it goes back to like, what am I feeling in my phone? And do I feel that based on what I read in that script, that has the potential conceptually, there's something commercial. It's saying something that I think is speaking to an audience other than me that I think will will speak to a larger audience. And, you know, that could be conceptually, that could be thematically, or even just sort of like, as you say, the level of writing is so fantastic that I think that it will get this person work, whether that script sells or not. And that can be just as valuable in terms of launching someone's career. I think now might be a good time to kind of talk about what you're working on right now, because then maybe we can kind of almost reverse engineer why you went with those ideas, how you got it to that point, and then how you are either producing them or have already produced them or wherever they're at in the process. So tell us, before the interview, we talked about a couple of things you're working on, but can you, for the mm-hmm. audience, can you tell us the projects you're mm-hmm. focused on right now? Yeah. Well, I focus on lots of things because I have many, many clients. And so... My, I think going back to what you're saying about like the distance between a manager and a producer, if you're a really good manager and a true manager, traditionally not like as like management's evolved, like I said, like a lot of agents are transitioning into management and they're really functioning as agents. The true manager is creative. And so while my clients, even during this sort of bizarre time, my clients are definitely working. They're staffing, they're selling things. They're selling shows and movies. I've done it all in the last three months. In fact, you know, oddly, I've had a very productive three months because things are still selling. Writers are still writing. But I think that sort of I'm very producerial as a manager and I'm also an idea generator. And when I think of an idea or find a piece of material, I go to my clients first. And so... You know, as we were sort of talking, I like to, because I live a very bizarre life, I've had a very colorful personal life. I usually, you know, I think at any given time, you know, maybe five or six writers are writing about some aspect of my bizarre life. And so it just so happens that right before we entered into this quarantine, several months before I got seriously dumped by my boyfriend after a four-year relationship. And so I was just finished licking my wounds and ready to get out dating. And we got freaking quarantined. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die alone. I'm never going (laughs) to date again. And, you know, a few of my friends, one of my friends got furloughed. And so she had a lot of extra time on her hands. 
And for some reason, I could never get her on the phone. I'm like, what the hell are you so busy with? She's like, I've scheduled all these Zoom dates for myself. She went online and she literally started scheduling back-to-back Zoom dates. And I just thought, how odd that people are still trying to find connections. I think that as human beings, we sort of yearn for that connection, even in quarantine. And I thought like, how interesting. And then I started, I was set up with someone during quarantine. It was just sort of this weird, so thinking love in the time of Corona. I called a client. I thought we should do a show about this. She was in an overall deal at Freeform, which is, you know, an ABC. And my client, Joanna Johnson, who I've represented for many years, she has a show called Good Trouble, which is the spinoff of The Fosters, which she show ran for the whole run. And we just started talking about it. We pitched it to Freeform. We pitched it to Dana Walden, who's the head of ABC. And they greenlit it. And we got a show greenlit about love in the time of Corona. And we started... I mean, this is a little bit unorthodox because usually you would have a script or a full pitch. They greenlit our show, which is four half-hour episodes that are going to be aired as a two-hour. We started casting with no script. We simultaneously started a writer's room. We've now generated the four scripts. We had our table read on Zoom last night and we start shooting tomorrow. So, but that's sort of typical, although that's much more accelerated. But I usually have an idea or a piece of material and I'll go to my clients, we'll develop a pitch, we'll sell it, or we'll even develop it on spec, which is, I mean, most of my clients write on spec because it's easier to put an actor or whatever. And so, but usually that's the sort of start of it. I will think of something or my clients will think of something. We'll get in the bunker together and we'll really sort of develop it and then we'll sell it. And that's typically the way it works, the way I do it. Although, you know, some people aren't development oriented. I just am. The development process of you working with the writer to kind of develop that idea to Mm -hmm. a point where it's ready to pitch. What does that back and forth look like? You reach out, have this idea, they start working on it. How involved are you in the drafts that were on the edit notes? Walk us through that. Very. So this sort of love in the time of Corona is atypical. That is not what would typically happen is I would give a client an idea or they would say, I want to develop this. And I am very involved. Very. I mean, every, every character every set of character pages, every outline, and then re-outline and re-outline and re-outline every single draft. I am very involved in the development. And yeah, very involved. And then after that, once the script is ready, whether it's television or film, I would then maybe try to put an actor in it or attach a director. But I would say very involved. Because it's I feel like it's my responsibility to ensure the quality of the material because I'm not just a producer. I'm also, I also represent many of the clients with whom I'm producing. So I'm also making sure that the material that goes out is great because it also impacts their career moving forward, whether I'm producing it or not. So I would say develop more than the average producer because I think the quality of the material is important in terms of, you know, ensuring that they work beyond. Because I can't ensure that every single thing I go out with sells. But what I can ensure that everything I go out with is good. 
And so whether it sells or not, that client will still get work. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writerexperience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. You mentioned attaching an actor or a director. And I imagine depending on who you're planning to pitch it to, there's probably a certain level of financing you're trying to get for it. Walk us through that step. What is the motivation for attaching? Obviously, I assume it's to make it more enticing. How do you go about doing that? Well, if it's a pitch, it's harder because it's sort of it's not in script form, and most of these actors like to read stuff. Same with directors, but it's not it's not impossible to attach an actor before going out the pitch. Again, most of my clients write back before, so I have a script. I think it's amazing. I have clients at every agency, so I have deep relationships at all the big agencies. So therefore I have access to the resources and the actors and the directors. So if I have a piece of material, that's great. And I call, you know, a talent agent. I say, I really like this for insert actor, actress. Can you please read it? They'll say yes. And if they love it, they'll give it to that person. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Same thing with the director. And then yes, if I attach Sandra Bullock to my project and I go out with it to try to sell it, it's probably going to sell, you know, as opposed to going out with a script that has no actor. And then the whole strategy behind writing something versus pitching something is when you have something written, you're that much closer to production. And if I sell it a script and then have Sandra Bullock attached, I'm going to get that made. You know, that's a much faster path. And selling something as a pitch, then you have to develop it. And when you develop it, it could, who knows how long that could take. So I try to incubate everything myself and try to develop it as far along as possible before I go out there because I don't want to be stuck in development. I want things to get made as quickly as possible. And that goes for TV and film. You mentioned writing on spec versus not writing on spec. For those writers listening who don't know what that means, can you walk us through the difference? Yeah, it means writing something for free. 
basically is writing a script without getting paid for it, you know, speculatively. And you don't know if it's going to sell. And, you know, and it's funny because you're like, I don't want to write unless I get paid. But my most successful clients write stuff for free. It's really, to me, it's betting on yourself. It's saying, I'm going to write something that's so good. And it's, I'm going to write it for no money, but I'm so sure and so confident in my own abilities and my writing that I know that if I write this, it's going to sell. And I know that if I develop it with me, with Robin, my manager, that it's, that we're going to do everything we can to sell. And I, I have a pretty good track record, you know? So that's the difference is writing something for free. And I think it's the way to go because it's like you have something tangible that says, that proves that you can do it versus a pitch that's not on the page. Just not, you know? So, and it really is. And there's some ideas that are more pitchable, some ideas that are, you know, it's just, it really depends on the situation. But I think all things being equal, I would always encourage my clients to write versus pitch. And if you're just starting out, you better write. That's the way to break in. It's with a great piece of material. As far as, pitching what you've written or what you're about to pitch, how do you know who to approach? Obviously, there's a lot of studios, there's a lot of streaming companies. How do you know who's right for a script? Do you have certain relationships with certain companies? How do you Mm -hmm. work through that in your head, where to go to try to pitch it? Well, I mean, I've been doing this for a really long time. So if you look at, you know, which producers, you know, typically producers have a certain brand, certain taste. So you just know, I mean, look at the produced credits, the kinds of things. And I'm also talking to these people on a daily basis. I'm talking to networks and studios and producers on a daily basis, and I know what they're looking for. So, yeah, that's that's the easy part. You know, you sort of, you just get to know people and you know what, what their wants and needs are. That definitely does not make me smart. That's just, that I'm just talking to these people. So, and for people who I've never met, and there are many people who I still don't know because People are popping up all the time. You see what they're, what projects they're working on. And, you know, everybody has, you know, has their own sort of unique set of tastes. So that's pretty, you know, there are certain producers who produce lots of comedies and some people who are more like, you look at Jason Blum, who does horror, you know, typically. So you kind of just assess like that. As far as the pitch itself, Imagine there is somewhat of an art to it. What does the pitch mm-hmm. itself look like in the preparation stage? Is it a paragraph? Is it a page? No. And then, okay, what does uh-uh. it look like? Yeah. It looks a shit ton like a fully worked out television show or a three acts of a movie. So depending on what you're pitching, if you're pitching a movie, you're pitching first, second, third act, major set pieces, theme, character, everything. If it's a TV show, the way I do it, which is if you're pitching, if you're going to pitch a television show, you have to convince the buyer that you know what's happening for five seasons, but this show has sustainability. So you're pitching characters, theme, trajectory, first, second, third seasons, major story arcs. Yeah, it's a shit ton of work, but you're pitching. You're basically walking them through what a full movie would look like or what a TV show would look like for definitely, I would say, a few seasons and then beyond. Yeah. 
not a little bit of work. It's a lot. When you have a pitch meeting, what does that meeting look like? Is it similar to an episode of Shark Tank? Kind of just walk up in front of them and, you know, throw your presentation out. Everyone looking at you, walk us through what it feels like to kind of be pitching these ideas in front of these executives or whoever's making the decision. Well, you go in and you just, I mean, I think you kind of, you know, you feel a little bit like a used car salesman, whatever, but I think. You go in and you, if it's a TV show, you just, you really, I think going back to what I was saying, you go in and you say, here's what the show's about. Here's who populates the show. Here's why I think it's commercial. I mean, if you're pitching a TV show, you have to convince a buyer that it will appeal to a wide audience because people want eyeballs on it, right? It's really sales. So you're talking about the commerciality of it. Even if it's something like Fleabag or something that's more obscure, that show had a reach because thematically it was talking to, even though it was quirky and weird and small, it was about something much bigger. So you can sort of say why that show, even though it's sort of super unique, why that show will speak to a large audience, you know? Or why something like Glow or even normal people, if you're going to pitch that, you have to convince the buyer that there is an audience for it. And then you sort of do sort of, as I was sort of outlining, you know, how the show unfolds. And then what does that decision-making phase look like? You pitch your idea, you're waiting to hear back during negotiation that goes on. Yeah. Torture. Like, do they want it? (laughs) Do they like me? Did I screw up? Was I an idiot? Sometimes they buy it in the room, super rare, but you know, that's happened to me a lot. You know, they're like, great, let's do it. And you're like, wait, what? Did I just sell it? But usually what happens at the end of these meetings, they'll sort of stare at you like, thanks. And then they'll say, let us talk about it. And then you sort of wait for, you know, sometimes a day, sometimes the longer it goes, the less likely probably, you know, sometimes you're pitching to a decision maker. And sometimes you're pitching to someone who has to get approvals to buy something. So there's usually some waiting period before they say yes or no thanks. It just depends. But yeah, you know, usually someone has to get an okay from somebody. And then you, you know, you sort of call, you follow up after the pitch. Is there anything else you can do? Sometimes they haven't read the writer because they suck. So they want to read a sample, stuff like that. And, you know, usually there's a little waiting period, but not long. And then when you get the green light on a project, obviously there's celebration all around. You get ready to, <laughs> to begin <laughs> working on that project. And you are a producer in addition to being a manager. So how does your role change from being you know, a manager? Obviously, you've been producing the idea to this point, but how do you take on the producer cap, so to speak, and begin to be involved in the production itself? What's your role then? It really depends, you know, because I have my main business is management. The idea of sort of like standing on set for three months is highly unappealing and also on some level unrealistic. Oftentimes I'll partner with another producer so that they can sort of do the day to day once things start shooting, but I'm still involved in every aspect. So I think for Corona, we should start shooting tomorrow. That's super, super unusual because because of all the sort of restrictions, no one's even allowed, except for there's five people allowed 
no one's even going inside anybody's house. So there's like, you know, our DP, my client who's directing it. And there's like two other people, like a gaffer and a couple people. But I think typically my role changes depending on the project. But I think at minimum, it's all the development, casting and crewing. And then depending, you know, in terms of the actual production itself, most of the time I'll spend, you know, I'll divide that responsibilities with another producer. So I'll be there for part of the time, like the day to day. But, you know, regardless of whether or not like I'm physically there or not, I will see dailies, give notes, everything. So it really depends. But I don't, because I'm still going to be responsible for my clients' careers beyond my producing, I can't just sort of leave and disappear for three months. It's just not realistic. So you get a show or a you know film or TV show made. You and your client are very happy about that. But obviously, this is for their career a continued thing, right? So how are you looking at the client as a brand? How are you thinking through their career over a longer period of time? Well, I think that most of my clients are working on more than one project at the same time. I mean, if they're sort of immersed in a TV show, you know, let's say my client's on staff. Usually what I tell clients is in terms of looking at their career as a whole versus on a project-by-project basis, let's say my client's working on staff of somebody else's show. We are always probably developing something at the same time so that we're sort of looking at, okay, they're in a job. Once that show breaks and has a hiatus, we have a piece of material to go out with immediately. So as soon as that job ends, we sort of can dovetail into another job. So I think in terms of brand, you know, you can write yourself. Most of my clients have a specialty, like comedy writers, thriller writers, horror, whatever. And it's pretty established when I read them. You know, they usually have certain tastes. So their brand is sort of established by what they like to write about. There are some of my clients who write both thrillers and comedies well. But I usually, certainly in the beginning, like to establish them in a certain genre so that they have an identity in the marketplace before they start writing other things. But, you know, like I said, there are some of my clients who are pretty ambidextrous and so they do both things well. But if a client has aspirations to do more than one genre, I certainly don't like to pigeonhole them. But I think that I do like to sort of establish them in one area first so that executives know how to how to identify them in the marketplace. But I think, you know, sort of like a long way to answer your question, you know, I brand them by what they write. And in terms of fluid employment, my clients are always writing. So there's a fluidity to sort of jobs and how we sort of roll. My next question, I'd ask you about Mm -hmm. your long-term plans for your writers, but what about your own career? You've obviously done a lot. So what are the milestones that you want to achieve for yourself over the next few years or your career? That's a good question. I think what's really important to me, it's funny, it kind of goes back to when I was in college and it's sort of something that that stuck with me. You know, I read a lot of papers in college and 
of course, the night before a paper was due and I hadn't written a word, I would call my dad and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I'm so screwed. I, I, I don't know what to write. And he said, you know, the reason you don't know what to write is because you don't know what you want to say. And it's something that stuck with me. And I say that to my clients when they're blocked or they haven't started writing a script and they feel stumped or whatever. And I say, well, he's like, you don't know what you want to say. And to me, in terms of like what I want to continue to do moving forward, I think, I think what I aspire to as a producer and I want to sort of infuse into my clients' dreams, which I have and want to continue to, is I want to make sure that whatever I put out into the marketplace says something meaningful. I don't think I'm the person to do some sort of empty comedy or some sort of gratuitous horror movie. I think that whatever I do, I feel like I want to have an impact. And I think it's not something new. I think it's something that I will continue to do. And as long as I have something to say, or as long as I feel like my clients have something to say, I feel like it will have value. So I think it's less about something new I want to do and something I want to continue to do. Love that. Robin, are you ready for something we call a series of seemingly random questions? Sure. Random questions? (laughs) All right. The first question, obviously, we've talked about coronavirus and quarantine. So walk us through, and I know you've touched upon it a little bit, how the current situation has changed the entertainment industry. For example, pitches, I assume those are happening online now. Walk us through how your career has changed. Well, you know, I'm super lucky because I work with writers. If I worked with actors, I would say things have grinded to a halt, you know, because there's no production, right? But I work with writers, so my job has gotten very, very busy. People are still writing. Things are still staffing. Things are still selling. Yes, things are now selling on Zoom. Meetings are happening on Zoom, so it's bizarre. But I would say... Things are very, very busy. I think that, like I've sold several shows during this time, but right. So people are not doing face-to-face, but they are face-to-face on Zoom or FaceTime. So I would say I'm pretty busy. I think that as production, depending on when production resumes, that will, you know, things might slow down. But so far, it's been pretty busy. The next question If you could have produced any film or TV show in the history of entertainment, which show show or movie would you have been involved in and why? Oh, my God. I don't even know how to answer that question. There are so many movies that have moved me and shows. Oh, my God. I mean, Glow, Fleabag, The Wire, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which my boss, Steve Golan, produced Terms of Endearment, Singing in the Rain, All the President's Men. I don't know. So, I mean, I can't even we'd be here all day. Things that have just affected me emotionally, stayed with me, plagued me, haunt me. Yes, those kinds of things. Yeah. Love it. And those are goals for your own films, to have that same effect on the people who watch yeah. them. Yeah. That'd be nice. So, yeah. The next random question, if you could take any writer ever, living or dead, to any fast food restaurant in LA, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? What the hell kind of question is that? <laughs> it would be one of my writers because I represent amazing writers and I also 
I wouldn't just pick a name out of the hat because I don't know, is that right or fun? I would have to know them personally if I want to hang out with them. So it'd probably be one of my clients. And in terms of like a fast food restaurant, I'm so healthy. You wouldn't find me at a fast food restaurant. It'd probably be at a dumpy diner. That's more my speed. Love it. The next question for those writers, filmmakers listening is the, I want to call it a traditional route of filming a short film, getting that into a film festival, getting an agent, writing a feature. Is that path still viable? Is it still relevant today? Would you say? Every path is viable. And that's what I love about this business. You know, you can break in in 50,000 different ways and they're all possible. And that's what I love. Like when someone tells me no, never know. It's always, I'll find a different way. So there is not one path to this business. There's always a path in. And that's why I like to sell my clients. There's always a way. The last seemingly random question. If you had to choose one piece of advice or learning from your career that you'd like to pass along to the writers who are listening right now, what would you choose? Well, to pass on to writers, not even to me myself, because I mean, I think there's, there's a message I would say to myself, which is, you know, never take no for an answer. But I don't think that's necessarily advice I would give to a writer. I would say, keep writing. Just keep writing. But also outline. Do not sit down to write a script without outlining because you can't do it. You cannot write a script without outlining. I love when people say, oh, I'll find it in the writing. You won't. You won't find it in the writing. You have to do the thinking before you start writing. There are no shortcuts. You have to respect the process. And my most successful clients outline and then outline and then outline again. That is the best advice I can give. And keep writing. You know, don't feel like, you know, if you feel compelled to write, that makes you a writer. If you're tortured by it, that's probably because you're a real writer. There's nothing fun about the process. I think when it flows, it's great. But yeah, I think outlining would be my best advice. Do you have any secrets <laughs> for writing outlines? Are there any, you know, core, if you follow these steps, it will definitely come out better? Or is there a format? Is there I anything think, specific? Yeah, there's, every, there's different formats that people follow. Everybody has their own sort of paradigm that they sort of, you know, every guide. But I think biggest thing is like, you've got to know what you want to say before you sit down to write. You have to have, it has to be thematically rooted. You're not saying something. If you don't know what you want to write about, it's probably not going to turn out well. And then the form can take on many different shapes in terms of like a beat sheet, an outline, you know, everybody has a different, you know, method. The very last question is the most important question. I usually say drum roll, please. And then the producer does a little mm. drum roll. But because we're mm-hmm. recording remote, there is no drum roll anymore. So we're just going to go without that. Okay. The last question. Did you have fun today with us? And by with us, I mean me. <laughs> I did have fun. I Great. I messed up totally. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. No, I don't think you did at all. I think it was super informative. I'm awesome. excited for this show that's coming out. Coronavirus show. What is the time? Oh, yeah, yeah. When can we expect to see it? Well, actually, you know, yeah. So we're start shooting tomorrow, and it's actually just a super accelerated. So we're going to air in August and on Freeform. So I'll keep you posted. There'll be announcements. You'll start reading stuff on Deadline and stuff. We're going to announce our cast soon. That's a pretty quick turnaround, now from shooting to very 
Oh yeah. Wow. Insane. Never happened. Yeah. Yeah. Totally insane. Cool. Well, if you're listening, check out that show. Is the title finalized? Is that the final title? No. I mean, right now it's okay. called Love the Time of Corona. That might stick, but I don't know. Maybe. We haven't cleared it yet. We'll see. Well, we will touch base with you later. Find out what the show is awesome. called. So for those listening, they can, you know, following up to the show, look into it and support you and your work. So really appreciate you, you, Robin, your insights, your time. Absolutely. Thank you. My pleasure. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.